Hey, it's Jen Garrett here, and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. I've helped thousands of people to develop their own personal game plan to achieve that next level of greatness. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies of professional athletes, Fortune 500 executives, and successful entrepreneurs to elevate your hustle and get you across your goal line. So get ready. It's your time to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode and a new season of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball community for quite some time, I'm glad to have you with us today. And I'm going to put it out here. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also leave us a review. All right. So today we're kicking off season two and I've got my first episode where we've got a guest on the show with me and we have a special guest for all of you today inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Mr. Jeff Garcia. Jeff is a retired NFL quarterback who played college football at San Jose State University, and he played professional football for 17 years. Jeff was a four-time CFL All-Star and four-time NFL Pro Bowler, and during his career, he played for the CFL's Calgary Stampeders and in the NFL for the 49ers, the Browns, the Lions, the Eagles, the Bucks, and the Raiders. And Jeff also played in the UFL, the United Football League, for the Omaha Nighthawks. Currently, Jeff is involved in a number of projects that we'll get into some of that today, and he's also working as an analyst for NBC Sports in the Bay Area. So now, let's hear from Jeff himself. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And where I'd like to kick off today's conversation is talking more about how you got into football. So tell us, how did you get introduced to the game? Well, really, it was born in my blood. I mean, I grew up in a family full of coaches. My dad was a football coach at the junior college in my hometown. My mom's dad at one time was the high school football coach at Gilroy High School, the town that I grew up in, in Northern California. And my dad before this being his father-in-law, played for my grandpa in high school as a football player along with my mom's brothers. So they knew each other before my mom and dad ever even got together. Just one of those things where I was born with it. Mom would drop me off, drop my brother and I off at my dad's practices, at the field, at the junior college. We'd be hanging out. I, at one time, was the ball boy for his football teams, and I was just always around the players, growing up around the players. On my mom's side, my grandfather, he played at Kansas State University. He played in the East-West Shrine game back in the 1930s. He and I are the only, or at one time, were the only grandfather-grandson combination to ever play in the game. And then my mom's brothers, they were football players as well, and my one uncle, one of her brothers, was a junior college football coach as well at De Anza Junior College in Cupertino, which is near San Jose, California. And my other uncle, who my mom's sister married, was a high school football coach who played football at UOP and then went on to coach at El Camino High School in South San Francisco. So it was in the blood, definitely in the blood. But because my dad was a head football coach or just a coach on the field, me growing up around it was just such a natural thing. I just idolized the players that played for him, even though they were just 18, 19, 20-year-old young men. Those guys were my idols. I wanted to be like those guys. I wanted to play for my dad. I would listen to his pregame speeches, his halftime speeches. I would get fired up. I'd get inspired by his motivational messages and just how he cared for his players. He really was like a father figure for a lot of these young men who came out of small towns in Ohio, New Jersey, Florida, all across the country, even in Canada. He had Canadian football players coming down from Calgary, from Regina, Saskatchewan, that played for him at the junior college. So really a diverse group of players that I got to be around. And then eventually I played for my dad. So I had the opportunity to eventually play for him, not just in Pop Warner, which is what I started playing when I was nine years old. As soon as I could put the pads on, I wanted to play. Mom signed me up. My dad helped coach some of my teams, but then I did get to play for him at the junior college as well. Oh, that's great. Is there something that you remember as a kid? You mentioned that you 
would listen to his pregame speeches. He would fire you up. Is there something you can recall that really would get you excited? I just his motivation, his passion. I, he had such a fire burning deep within him. I think it translated a lot into how I played the game. Just my mental and physical and emotional toughness as to being maybe not the biggest, not the strongest, not the fastest guy, but you know, the guy that would run through a brick wall. And that was like part of his motivation. You know, you got to run through a damn brick wall. You got to be so fired up, so intense. You don't want to be denied. And I think in a lot of ways, that's how I lived my life. I was not going to be denied. But I remember his first speech to me when I played the one season that I played for my dad. We were opening up the season with San Francisco City College, who at the time was a junior college powerhouse throughout the nation, oftentimes competing for national championships. We opened with them in a home game at our place. And the pregame speech, I mean, his emotion, his intensity, his just fire, his desire to like bring out the best in us, not only through preparation and our practice, but emotionally bring us to another level. I remember just the hair on the back of my neck, just standing up, just like getting chills, almost coming to tears, so emotional. I, I couldn't wait to get on the field and play for him. He just had that knack. He just had that ability to bring out the best in people. And, and it truly worked. I mean, you look at me and my journey through the football world, my football life, nothing came easy. Nothing was handed to me. I had to go out and earn every single step of the way. But I scratched and I clawed and I climbed in a one hand in front of the other, one step at a time. And I did reach that top. I reached the pinnacle. And a lot had to do with that fire that burned within me that really was instilled in me at a young age, just watching my dad, watching him coach, understanding the game, obviously, mentally, being around it, watching when he would bring home the old projector and he'd put it on a white wall at my house, just like these white walls. He'd put it up the screen up there. And we only had two channels living in the country no cable. So there wasn't anything better to watch. I might as well watch some football with my dad. And he'd talk about, hey, this is cover three. This is cover two. This is how we're going to attack it. And just getting those kind of mental, just absorbing that all mentally at a young age and understanding the game of football really helped me. I mean, it helped me have an edge. Maybe when I wasn't as physically gifted as other guys, I was mentally gifted to understand the game like a student of the game and that's where I actually separated myself and that's where when my physical abilities really started to catch up with my mental awareness and how to grasp the game that's when I really started to excel and really become something great I love that as you're as I'm listening to you I'm getting fired up I remember those old projectors I'm dating myself now but that's amazing you hit on some great points that I just wanted to touch on you know you talked about your dad being able to bring energy and get people fired that's important in any leader right not just on a football field but whether you're in business or any activity you're doing you want to have people that can get other folks fired up and that's something that I talk about in my book I, I have this acronym called mad pride that, that I say are eight elements that that separate the good leaders from the great or the good players from the great. And the E in that stands for energy that energizes because you're absolutely right. I mean, the energy that you bring is infectious and you want to use that to drive energy out of your players, out of your teams to get them to perform at a higher level. So I think that's great. Thanks for sharing that. The other thing that I think is important, you talked about the mental awareness and the toughness and the preparation. So you were uh, in high school, went to junior college, which was a, a different path than many people go directly, you know, to playing in a four-year college. What was that like for you? Was your dad being a coach there part of your decision to go into play at junior college first? And then how did your awareness, your ability to be mentally prepared help you to progress, to do very well at San Jose State, and then also to go on to play professional football? Yes. You know, I didn't have the natural path to the four-year school. I didn't have a bunch of recruiters knocking on my door. I had a pretty good junior year in high school to where my name started to be thrown out there. But I was also coming out during a time when the top quarterbacks in the state of California were a guy by the name of Todd Marinovich, who was the robo quarterback, so to speak. Another guy by the name of Brett Johnson. One went to USC, one went to UCLA. 
we were all the same year, the same age, but those were the guys getting the accolades, Southern California boys throwing the heck out of the football. You know, I had a good junior year. My senior year, I broke my elbow. It was my non-throwing arm, but I had to miss half the season. And so coming out of that year, any sort of interest coming from recruiters basically was squashed. Again, I was only about six feet tall, 165 pounds soaking wet. I wasn't really hitting the measurables in that sort of way. And I kind of figured, I kind of knew that, hey, my path was going to go through playing for my dad at the junior college. And then we'll see what happens after that. Well, my dad had a plan as well. And he thought, hey, if my boy's going to come play for me, this is what we're going to do. The first year I was out of high school, I didn't actually play that season. I did what you call gray shirt. I went to school part-time and I worked out with the team. So my clock didn't start. It was like a red shirt year, but my clock didn't start as far as counting the number of years that you can play at a division one school. So he already had quarterbacks that he was dealing with. He didn't want to have a controversy. So I practiced with the team. I ran the scout team. I used that year to basically mature physically and continue to learn mentally as well. He also wanted to change the offense for me when I was going to be his quarterback. At the time, he had a running style quarterback. He ran more of a beer option. The great thing about my dad is he adjusted and adapted to the talent of his players. And he tried to build on that. And so when I was coming in, knowing that I was more of a drop back thrower, then he went to a spread style offense where we went three, four receivers, single back. We used a lot of shotgun. We started to run a lot of fly sweeps, a lot of screens, little quick receiver screens. A lot of the stuff that they're doing today, we were doing back then in 1989. And he did a great job of just developing an offense that allowed us to be very successful and allowed me to be very successful. And and part of being successful was just the mental ability to grasp what we were doing and understand and be like a coach on the field. And he established that within me and he helped nurture that within me, helped grow that within me. And, and I think at that time as well, my physical ability, now I discovered, hey, the weight room, I had discovered working quickness drills and I always was a basketball player as well. So combined playing a lot of basketball and just the athleticism you need on the court and taking that over to the football field and how I would utilize the pocket and be able to get away and separate myself and lengthen plays and make plays happen when things break down around you. You know, those were the things that I started to really be good at when I was playing for my dad. And it brought some attention my way after that one year of playing for him at the junior college. It brought some attention in the form of scholarship offers from the University of Utah, University of Wyoming, and San Jose State were my three main highly division one type offers and San Jose was 30 miles down the road. And so for me, it was just one of those things where it gave me a chance to go to school, but yet still stay close to home and allow my family, my parents and all my extended cousins, aunts, uncles, my grandparents to be a part of what I was doing, which was awesome. I mean, that was the great part of my college experience was that every weekend at home was like a big Garcia family reunion and tailgate party. And I had a ton of support in the stands, not knowing that I would go through three head coaches in three seasons and have to adapt to that. But that being said, uh, my one year of junior college ball playing for my dad, understanding how to be a leader, understanding how to be a student of the game, study the game, have the mental ability to adapt during a game and understand what defenses are trying to do to you and really be part of a chess match is how you counterattack and how you respond and how you make the right decisions and eliminate negative mistakes. And so those were so much part of my growing up process that I really developed a lot under my dad as my head coach. Well, there's something that you said that I really like, adjust and adapt. Those are two big words in a couple of different ways. As a player, it's important to adjust and adapt, but also as a leader, like your dad, you mentioned he adjusted and adapted the offense depending on your style. And as leaders off the field, we also need to look at our team, right? Who do we have in our workplace? What are their skill sets? And what's the best plays to run? What's the best offensive strategy that's going to work 
well for the team as a cohesive unit. And I think that's important. That's one thing that great coaches on the field do is they know how to bring the best out of their talent because they adjust and adapt what they're doing to utilize that. Well, I think it translates into business as well. When you have great leaders who know how to tap into bringing out the best in their workers, in their employees, and create an energy, create an enthusiasm of success and what it means to be successful and take pride in what you're doing and have goals and have a motivation of what you want to reach, the success that you want to see come out from within yourself and being able to contribute to a team and what that means. And that's why I think athletes make such great workers in the business world because of their ability in so many sports to work as teammates, to understand what that means, to learn how to deal with adversity and go through some of those trials and tribulations and figure out a way to come out on top. We may not always be the smartest or the most intellectual, but our people skills, our ability to work within a team, our ability to overcome the struggles, I think is a benefit to a lot of athletes who get hired into the normal everyday business world. Absolutely. Completely agree with you on that. So let's transition. And and before I leave San Jose State, I just want to share with everyone that when you left your college career, you held the school record for the most career offensive yards, 7,274. That record stuck for about 14 years or so. Um, And so, I mean, you did a great job. All the things that you mentioned earlier in our conversation, I think really helped you in your success, the mental preparation, the adapting, the adjusting, what you learned from your dad, like it all came together and transformed led into you having a successful college football career. Now let's talk about you leaving college and you didn't go directly into the NFL. You went and played in the CFL. Talk to us about that journey. Yeah. You know, coming out of college, I played in the East West Shrine game. I ended up being the MVP of that game. And I figured, Hey, these are the top college seniors around the country playing in this game. And I'm the MVP. I mean, you would think that that would gain a little bit of attention from the national football league. Well, I wasn't invited to the NFL Combine. I wasn't even spoken to during the NFL draft. And yes, it was discouraging. It was disappointing. I thought that I was one of the better quarterbacks in the country. I saw some guys that were getting drafted that I felt like I was as competitive as, if not better than. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen. I really only got one call from one team. And a lot of that came through my relationship with Bill Walsh after competing against Bill when he coached at Stanford and I was at San Jose State. We had a couple battles against each other. He had some really positive things to say about me to the media after that. He mentioned at one time that, hey, that Garcia kid did some Joe Montana-like things on the field today against us. And I took... uh great appreciation in that he had that sort of respect and admiration for me. And I actually went to Bill and asked him, Hey coach, could you help me with your lineage of coaches that are now spread out through the national football league, your tree, your branches that are out there. And, you know, he said he would, he tried to help me put a word out there to some of the coaches. And I did get one call. It was from Steve Mariucci, who was the quarterback coach at the time with the Green Bay Packers. And really his call was that, hey, Bill had reached out to us. I am giving you a call. We're pretty loaded in the quarterback position right now. We have Brett Favre. We have Ty Detmer. We have Mark Grinnell. We'll probably bring in a camp guy. And they did. And that ended up being Kurt Warner, who they cut afterwards. And uh, he said, if you have a chance to go to Canada, go to Canada, get some experience. You never know what will happen down the road. Well, the Calgary Stampeders, they had my negotiation list rights, basically. So they don't hold a draft for American athletes, but each team basically stakes claim to who they'd like to sign if the opportunity comes. And so my rights were with Calgary. I ended up signing a two-year contract with them. And I really went up to compete, not to be the starter, not to be the backup quarterback, but to be the third string quarterback on the Calgary Stampeders. Their starter was Doug Flutie, who had been a great CFL quarterback for a number of years. Steve Taylor was the backup who came out of Nebraska. He had been in the league for about six years. He had proven himself. And I was competing with another rookie just to make the team. And really it came down to one opportunity in a preseason game 
We each were going to get one quarter in the first preseason game. There were only two preseason games. The rookies would get to play in one of them. I got the fourth quarter in one preseason game. I went into the game, 14-14 tie, fourth quarter. I led two scoring drives through two touchdown passes, went six for eight passing. And after the game, it was really an argument between the offensive coordinator and the American scout. The American scout wanted the other quarterback. The offensive coordinator wanted me as the third guy on the roster. And the offensive coordinator ended up winning out. And so that's how I got my job with the Calgary Stampeders. I mean, I literally was a quarter away from probably starting a whole new career if I don't take advantage of that opportunity right then. And that led to some great years in Calgary. I ended up being the number three that year, really didn't sniff the field. The next year, I was number two behind Doug Flutie. He went down with an elbow injury midway through the season again. The opportunity presented itself. Are you prepared to take advantage of it? My first start, I lead the team to, I throw for over 400 yards, two touchdowns on the road. We win the game. We come back home. My first start at home, I throw for over 500 yards, six touchdowns in the Edmonton Eskimo Labor Day Classic, which is the big game rivalry for the Stampeders and the Edmonton Eskimos on Labor Day up there in Calgary. And it was like I jumped onto the scene, and, and that was it. I went 8-1 and as a starter that year. Doug ended up coming back at the end of the year. We ended up going to the Grey Cup, but he moved on to another team after that. So I became the starter for the next three seasons, led them to a Grey Cup title in 1998, MVP of the Grey Cup, and then all of a sudden opportunities started to present themselves in the NFL. And I really – Never thought that the NFL would happen at that point. I was five years into the CFL. I had bought a home in Calgary. I'd opened a restaurant in Calgary, Mexican food. I'm half Mexican. And I thought, hey, this is going to be my life. I'm not making a ton of money, but I'm making a lot enough to survive and to live and, and to enjoy my life. Calgary was a great city. I loved it. Had great teammates. was a great organization. We were winning. I never imagined that the NFL would become an opportunity again, and it did. Oh, that's such a great story. There's a couple of things I want to come back to, but I have to say that, yes, Calgary is a great town, and I have actually been to a Stampeders game. It's been a while, and it was, I think, maybe 2001, 2002, so it was a little bit after uh, your time. But just it is a, You just missed <laughs> it. Is, I did, yes. But there's a couple of things I wanted to, to come back to. You talked about when the opportunity presents itself, are you going to be ready? And I think that's so important because – off the field in life too, there are opportunities that present themselves when we're least expecting them to come. And you have to be ready to take those shots, to capitalize on those opportunities, because if you aren't, someone else will. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about preparation, mental and physical preparation, especially when it comes to sport. I think I remember Buster Douglas saying something along the lines when he was asked if it was a lucky punch that he hit Mike Tyson with. And he was like, Luck is all about being prepared for the opportunity. You create your own luck. And really, that's what it comes down to. I mean, yeah, you can say, hey, gosh, somebody's lucky because they have made it big or they had a great game. Well, you know what? They prepared for that opportunity. They created their luck, so to speak. And, you know, people can say that about my life, that I've been very lucky, that I've been very fortunate. But it also took a lot of hard work. It took being prepared. It took shining in the moment. And, uh, you know, not everybody's able to do that. And that's where a lot of backup quarterbacks who are happy to just carry a clipboard on the sideline aren't that guy because when reality hits and they're put into the spotlight, they get exposed and they don't rise to the occasion. I've been fortunate, I think, throughout my life that when that opportunity is presented to itself, I've been able to rise to the challenge and I've been able to step up and step to the plate and make the most of it. And the other thing that I wanted to come back to was you talked about how you're one quarter away from possibly having a very different career. So how much pressure did you feel going into that game saying, hey, it rides on this? And, and how did you ensure that you were mentally locked in and that you were able to perform? I don't think I thought too much about it being my only and could be my last time. I think that is pressure that I never wanted to really burden myself with. I think if there's one thing about how I've handled pressure throughout my life is that I've always 
deflected the pressure onto them. It's their job to stop me. Hey, they don't know anything about me. I'm the new guy on the radar. I'm not supposed to be great, but I'm going to go out there. I'm going to demonstrate what I'm capable of playing within myself. And I think that was really what it was all about. If anything, my whole concern was, am I going to know the plays when they're being signaled into me? Because it's like, okay, I've had two weeks to learn all the signals for all the plays. I better get this right and call the play correctly in the huddle because that will be as big of a catastrophe as anything. There weren't headphones back then. They weren't calling the play in via a mic or anything like that. I had to watch signals and learn them and be able to put it all together. And so for me, it was really about, hey, the mental prep going in, understanding what I have to do, simplifying the game, not allowing the game to overwhelm me. Hey, I've competed in practice. I'm adjusting to the speed, to the size of the game, the size of the field, all the different things that go into playing the game. Now it's about going out and executing it and not thinking that I have to do it alone. Hey, I have 10, 11 teammates around me in the Canadian Football League. You have 11 teammates on the field, 12 on 12, that are there to help you. And it's my job to give them the ability to make a play as well and help them be great. And so that's where I try to alleviate pressure on myself and burdening myself as to being someone who has to carry the load, but more so, hey, I'm going to share the wealth. I'm going to get everybody involved. And my job is to hand it out, to give it, to execute it, and to be that guy that can demonstrate it and carry it through and make it happen. And that's a great approach because oftentimes in our lives, almost every time in our lives, we have a team that we're utilizing to help make plays and to move the ball. It's not just us out there on the field. And so you really need to think about how do you leverage your teammates? How do you make those plays with them? It's not just all about you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So let's talk about you playing in the NFL for a few minutes. So you're playing for the 49ers. What is the biggest difference from going from the CFL into the NFL? Aside from it's not 12 on 12 and there are some other rule differences, <laughs> right? But aside from those things, what was the biggest eye-opening thing for you? Yeah, just the speed of the game. The windows of opportunity to be successful are much smaller and you have to be that much more precise with your decision-making, your timing, your accuracy, your just execution overall. I mean, it's just... The margins are so tight, so small. And that was the biggest difference to me. I found in my first start against the Tennessee Titans, who would later go on to the Super Bowl that year against the St. Louis Rams, I had a winning day. I was successful. I went out there and I think completed 60 plus percent of my passes, over 200 yards, threw for two touchdowns. I ran for another. So I accumulated three touchdowns that day in front of a home crowd at Candlestick Park. And San Fran and we won the game and I thought, wow, this is easy, man. I'm going to be great at this. And then all of a sudden the wheels started to fall off. And that was my first year with 49ers and I was still learning on the run. And I started to realize that, man, things happen fast out here. And, you know, you really need the help of your teammates and you can't do it alone. You can't put that pressure. And if there was ever a time that I really did start to feel that pressure and shoulder that burden, it was during that time. The next four starts of that season that I had really were a struggle. And I started to really look at myself like, okay, what are outside people? I started to listen to the noise, right? You can't listen to the noise, but I started to listen to the noise. What are the outside people thinking about the San Francisco 49ers right now? They see a team that's struggling. What's the major change? Well, the major change is the quarterback position. They don't have Joe Montana anymore. Steve Young got knocked out early in the season. He's not returning. They went from two Hall of Fame quarterbacks to now this guy, Garcia. How's he going to fill their shoes? And I think at one point I was trying to be them. And I can't try to be them. I have to be me. And I think it took a benching during that season. I sat for two games, watched another quarterback step onto the field and have a lot of the same struggles, if not worse, to realize that, hey, first of all, take the pressure off of me. You can't be Joe Montana. You can't be Steve Young. You have to be Jeff Garcia. You have to operate the game the way that you learn the game, the way that you know how to operate it, and also understand that you can be successful. 
rewatch some of your successful plays, whether it was versus the Tennessee Titans or some of the other games where you had good decisions, good throws, good timing, accuracy was good. All of those things. And, and really it was my quarterback coach, Greg Knapp, who put a clip of plays together for me and said, hey, you're going to be starting this week. I want you to watch these 50 to 60 plays where you executed the play damn near to perfection to show yourself that you are capable of playing at this level, that the game is not too big for you. And when I came back, the remainder of that season, I had five more starts. We didn't necessarily win any more games, but we were so much more productive. I was so much more productive. I went from my first five starts, two touchdowns, nine interceptions, to nine touchdowns, two interceptions in my last five starts, which led to my next season, which turned out to be a record-setting year for the 49ers and a Pro Bowl year for me. Still is the record for 4,200-plus passing yards in a season for the Niners that hasn't been broken since that 2000 season. So, you know, things did turn around for me. I did adapt to the game. I learned how to execute and be faster, more precise, more decisive with my decision-making. And, and that was a difference maker. And you bring up some great points. You talk about not trying to feel the pressure of stepping into someone's shoes who was great and being you. I think it's important that we focus on who are we, what are our strengths, and how can we continue to improve instead of trying to be like other people? Because we all have different skills, different talents, different things that make us unique, and we can perform at a high level using the skills and the talents that we have. So I think that's an important thing, the continual improvement. Sometimes we get discouraged because we don't win the game, but we're still improving. So I think it's important to take credit, to recognize our progress, right? And even though we didn't win the game or we didn't get the outcome we wanted, that isn't necessarily a failure if we can incorporate what we've learned into what we're doing so that we can continue to build and then hit those wins and be successful and have a next great year and and go to the Pro Bowl and all that great stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I think being able to deflect pressure, being able to redirect pressure, being able to bring out the best in yourself. I and mean, that's all you can ask of yourself. Are you truly dedicating yourself to being the best? Or are you a fraud? Are you pretending? And I think for me, it was really about digging into film work, studying the game plan, understanding what we're trying to do mentally on top of making the physical adjustments and really adapting to the game and understanding that this is how I have to operate out here in order to be successful. Absolutely. So you mentioned the Pro Bowl. So your first three Pro Bowls, 2001, 2002, 2003 timeframe, you played with guys like Tony Gonzalez, Marshall Falk, Randy Moss, Warren Sapp, Jason Taylor, Edron James, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, got to throw in Brian Erlacher since I'm from Chicago to another uh, great Pro Bowler. When you look at these guys and the great things they've done in the NFL, is there anything else aside from the things that we've already talked about that you think makes them elite players and pro bowl level gosh when you get to that level of the nfl the margin of error the margin of separation between the elite and the great is very minimal and you know sometimes it's being in the right place at the right time being surrounded by the right people having the right coach and the right offense you know you look at marshall falk being in Indianapolis for part of his career and then going to the Rams, would he have been as successful had he stayed in Indy? He goes to the Rams and they utilize him in a way that now be, makes him one of those elite performers where he's not only great running the football out of the backfield, but he's great as a receiver out of the backfield and creates matchup opportunities and mismatches. And so, you know, guys being in certain situations at the right time, and having the right people around him, having a Kurt Warner, having the type of receivers, Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce on the outside that gained a lot of attention as well to deflect attention from him in the sense. And so, you know, being a part of that sort of team and that sort of environment allowed him to flourish. Now, obviously, he had the athletic ability, but there are a lot of guys that have that athletic ability. And so, you know, being in the right place at the right time, being surrounded by the right people, obviously having a work ethic and determination within yourself. You can't do it without studying the game, truly being a student of the game, 
and physically able to take it over to the field. And it happens every day in practice. I remember watching Jerry Rice practice and the guy practiced how he played and it really rubbed off on his teammates. To me, when I stepped out on that practice field, I demanded and expected perfection. I was pissed off if the ball hit the ground. If I didn't go 12 for 12 in seven on seven, if I didn't go eight for eight in our team drills, if I didn't go a hundred percent, I was pissed about that one throw, but I couldn't linger on it. And that's the other thing, being able to bounce back from mistakes, being able to bounce back from a negative play, learn from it, but put it behind you. Don't linger on it. A lot of guys linger on it and they compound it. They make another mistake and then another mistake because their head is now screwed up. I couldn't afford to do that. The great players don't do that. They learn from it. They move on. They don't compound it. They don't repeat it. And I think that's what separates some of the greatness from some of the guys that are on the cusp of greatness. And so playing against guys like Brian Urlacher and Aaron Taylor and, you know, all these great players that uh, have gone through the National Football League and during the 12 years that I was able to step onto the field and really 10 years as a true starter out there on the field in different divisions, you know, in different situations, different cities, but being able to flourish in a lot of those situations because of what I expected out of myself and how I expected to not only raise my level of play, but raise the level of play of the guys around me. That was so important. I had to get them to understand, to learn, to believe that they could be bigger, greater than what anybody else expect out of them. And I'm sure they expected that out of themselves, but I wanted to bring that out of them as well, because that's what I expected out of myself. Sure. And you mentioned something that I think is a very important point. It's the teammates that you have around you. And if you have one team around you, would you perform as well as if you had been on a different team? And I think that's important in our own lives. I have a lot of people that reach out to me that are looking to level up their corporate career, but also who are entrepreneurs. And the same thing is true in both situations. Who are you surrounding yourself with? And are they the people that are going to bring the best out of you, that are going to level you up, that are going to challenge and push you so that you can continue to improve and get to where you you want to go. And that's a very important point because that team is so critical. Absolutely. So let's talk about your time post NFL. So the time has come, you're hanging up your corporate cleats. What do you do when you get out of the league and what are you working on now? Yes, I think the transition is always a difficult one as a professional athlete. I think there's really a sense of loss when you leave the game. You don't generally get to leave on your own terms either. And uh, so it comes a time where that end happens and it's now what now where do I go and I think today's athlete is preparing themselves better as far as really understanding that you are a brand when you play professional sports you are someone who can market yourself and create opportunities outside of the game of football I think at times I was so focused on just trying to be a better quarterback trying to maintain my job as a starter on a team adapting to a new team because I had to transition multiple times to new cities, new teams, new people. That was my focus and maybe lost sight of certain things that, hey, when the game comes to an end, you're going to be young still. What are you going to do next with your life? Well, part of my life has been being a dad. I started late. I got married later in my career. We had four children right away. I'm very blessed to have a 12-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, and a 9-year-old daughter. And all of them love sports. They love to participate. They played flag football, basketball. You know, my boys are now wanting to play tackle football. And even my oldest daughter wants to play tackle football. I'm trying to steer away from it, but I just may have to give her the chance to experience it and to see how she likes it and if it's for her. But that being said, being a dad is my priority right now. I'm very fortunate to have four healthy children that are very active and it's truly a blessing. But outside of that, I've really tried to look into what really grabs me. Where can I really sink my teeth, really dedicate myself to something that I'm passionate about? And, you know, I was fortunate through my career to have been able to be very 
charitable. At one time, I worked with the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. We raised awareness and money for Hispanic students to go on to college, many of them being the first to go to college in their families. We also had started with my wife and I, we had started the Garcia Pass It On Foundation at one time where we were just raising awareness to different organizations that really touched our heart and we were able to give back to through different charitable fundraisers. And now I'm really trying to really see where my passion can lead me. I've dabbled in the coaching. I've coached with the Montreal Alouettes in the Canadian Football League. I also coached with the St. Louis Rams their last year in St. Louis. And as much as I was passionate about it, I love being around the players, love being a part of game day. It's a different life and it's a different lifestyle. And it's not real conducive to being a dad and raising children. As much as I think they would have enjoyed being around the game and game day and all those experiences, you don't have a lot of time outside of work to really be involved in your kids' lives. And for me, that was more important. So I stepped away from the coaching experience. And, you know, outside of doing some private work with some quarterbacks locally here in San Diego, I've gotten involved with some organizations. There's a company called Sports VTS, uh, sportsvts.com. They've developed a QB sim, which is a QB simulator. They basically through virtual reality of training quarterbacks. And it was developed by a man by the name of Ted Sunquist, who was the former general manager of the Denver Broncos at one time and a former Air Force guy. And this is where they developed it in Colorado Springs near the Air Force Academy. But much like a fighter pilot goes into a simulator where he can basically go through practice of air warfare, it's the same thing with the quarterback, putting him in a position to where through virtual reality, he can simulate doing all the things a quarterback would do. Take a snap, take a drop, read a defense, make a decision, make a throw, and cameras and all these technical things are basically creating the experience, which is awesome. And this is starting to be utilized in colleges. I know UCLA has gotten one. I believe Alabama was going to get one to where they can train their young quarterbacks, especially during offseason or especially when maybe their third, fourth, fifth young quarterbacks, their redshirt kids aren't getting reps on the field. So that's one thing that I've been involved in. Also, you know, I've gotten involved with a company called Pharmanex. We do vitamins and minerals. So it's a health-based product. I'm very passionate about that. And I also do some greetings through Cameo, cameo.com slash Jeff Garcia 5, where, hey, I can say happy birthday or I can fire up somebody or congratulate them on a great experience or opportunity in their life. And it's something that kind of brings some fun for me to be able to connect with fans and, and really truly appreciate them being fans and offer something back to them. Oh, that's great. And we'll be sure to put all of those companies and your Cameo link in the show notes. So check them out and book Jeff Garcia for a great message for uh, those fans out there. Let him get you fired up. So thanks for sharing all the great things that you're involved with. And I completely uh, appreciate the importance of being there for your children, too, because as being someone that worked in the corporate world, I was on the road all the time. So I wasn't at home as much for my older kids as I am for my younger ones. And so it's nice to be home and it's good to be able to prioritize, right? And be there for your family. And you're right, the coaching life, it's a grind. A lot of people don't see all the behind the scenes work that goes into it, but there's not a lot of time for family life. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I grew up around it with my dad as a coach and he put a lot of hours into doing his job. And my mom was the one who raised us, but my mom did a great job of dropping us off at practices and we were able to see my dad and we were able to run around and throw the football. That doesn't happen as much at the professional level. You can't just drop your kid off at your dad's work and be able to hang out and run around the facility. So, you know, those things were different for my kids with my experience as it was for my experience being around my dad. Sure, sure. So what I want to do now is I want to transition to my two-minute drill. I'm going to ask you just uh, seven fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. What did you want to be when you were 10 years old? I mean, to be honest with you, I wrote an autobiography in the fourth grade. So I was right around that 10-year-old age. And it said in there, 
that when I grow up, I'm going to be a professional football quarterback of all things. I said I was going to be a quarterback in the NFL. And so, you know, from an early age, that was kind of my mindset. And yeah, hey, we all dream about it. I hear my kids talk about it all the time. Oh, I'm going to grow up and be a professional quarterback or a professional athlete. And, you know, I realize now how difficult that road is and how few people actually get there. And I was very blessed to have been able to attain my childhood dream. Oh, that's awesome. So the next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? Uh, there are a couple guys, I think, are athletic that have played those parts in movies. I think Josh Duhamel, I think he's uh, a guy that actually played quarterback uh-huh. in high school and maybe even sniffed it in college, but has an athletic background. And then the other guy I was thinking of was Channing Tatum. Ah, You know, he's a guy that I think uh, can play a quarterback position or play the life of a quarterback growing up and do it well. So those are two guys I think of. I gotcha. Yeah, I can see that of Channing. All right. What is your favorite vacation spot? You know, I really would have to say Banff outside of Calgary, you know, even though it was somewhat close to where I was for five years, I just remember going to that little town and how cool it was, how it just had this European vibe. And especially in the wintertime, just how beautiful it is up there. And the Castle Hotel, the Banff Springs Hotel, really just an awesome, awesome place to go visit. People need to get there. Yeah, Banff is absolutely beautiful. All right, my next question is, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? I probably have two. I probably lean more toward cookie dough right now because my kids like it as well. So I buy it for the house and I enjoy that. But I always grew up loving caramel and pralines and cream. So it had the caramel mixed in there with the chocolate and the vanilla. That was probably my go-to when I was growing up as a kid. Gotcha. All right. How about what is a pet peeve of yours? Poor manners and rude people. That's definitely a pet peeve of mine. I think that Being respectful is something that I've always tried to be. I don't care who I am or where I'm at. I want to respect people no matter who they are and what level they're at. And I think that's one thing in life that gives me a hard time or or I just frown upon when I see people that that are disrespectful or rude and have poor manners. The other thing is I'm OCD about cleanliness. So if I had some sort of thing about Being a clean freak, that's me. I like a clean house. I like clean hygiene. I'm very particular about that. Got it. All right. The next question is, what book are you currently reading or a podcast that you're listening to? You know, having a near teenage daughter, as you can attest to this, I'm reading a book called Untangled, and it's uh, guiding teenage girls through the seven transitions into adulthood. But it was introduced to me through my wife, who I'm not with anymore. We've separated, but we still co-parent and we still support each other and have a great co-parenting relationship. And it was recommended to her. She recommended to me. So both of us are engaged in that book right now as to how to deal with our 12-year-old daughter and understand that what she's going through is somewhat normal and just trying to understand the different phases of life that she's venturing through and how she's trying to cope with her maturity and hitting certain points in her life and how it makes life somewhat difficult or how she adapts and adjusts to it. And so I want to be able to understand that the best I can as a dad. So that's a book that I'm trying to learn from right now. Oh, that's awesome. And as you know, I have four daughters. And so right. it's, uh, daughters can be tough. I often tell people it would have been easier to have four boys and you know played football and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, so, so good for you for reading that book. Okay, my last question in this drill is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people. Who would you pick and why? You know, these three people are not living, but so instrumental in not only America and the world, with Martin Luther King, that would be definitely one guy that I would love to be able to pick his brain, to hear about his experiences and just the struggles and the eyes that he opened up as far as our country is concerned. Uh, The other guy is Bill Walsh. I would like to just thank Bill for giving me the opportunity really with the San Francisco 49ers and believing in me and also tap into his knowledge As a leader, as a coach, being so instrumental in the West Coast system and the success that he had 
in building the talent and teaching that talent how to operate together as a team and to be the best as a team. He would be definitely another guy. And the other guy would be Jim Thorpe, one of the greatest athletes to ever uh, walk the earth, to be a Native American, to have known the struggles that he went through just to be recognized, the sports that he mastered and competed in at such a high level, just the phenomenal athlete that he was. That would be an interesting conversation as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, as we wrap up today's show, share with us, where can people follow you? And also any last thoughts that you might have for our listeners? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Garcia, J-G-F-A. And you can find me on Instagram at Jeff Garcia QB5. Definitely follow me there and just continue to be your best. I think the main thing for me is to continue to put goals down, to really look at those goals and highlight what I can attain in my life and to truly be passionate and driven. Understand that each day is going to be a new day for you. Don't dwell on what happened in the past. Hey, correct anything that may have gone wrong and make it a better future. I really believe that optimism, positivity are the strengths in life and, you know, developing and establishing great relationships with people. Go out and don't ever doubt yourself. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't be what you want to be. In life, I'm living proof of it. I've gone through the adversity of different challenges throughout my life, losing a brother and sister at an early age, having those family crises growing up and still being able to find a way to reach to the top. And I think every day is a chance to climb the mountain. Hey, put your backpack on, grab your water bottle, climb that mountain, reach the top. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on today's show. It's been a true pleasure, Jeff. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.